And this got me thinking, you know, again, advice was really good advice for individual women to figure out how to game this system. But zooming out, it also meant that we were accepting the fact that the company was rewarding certain types of individual contributions and not rewarding community contributors. So what I might call a true team player as much. And so after a little bit of digging, I actually learned there's a lot of research behind this. And I'm happy to provide links for your listeners if at all helpful, but there's this term called office housework that's used to describe work that might be valuable to an organization and is contributive, but it isn't seen by the organization as promotable. So, you know, the stuff that they think officially and formally counts and it's going to get you more money or a higher uh, role, a higher level role. So, you know, this office housework might look like facilitating the collaboration in a big, you know, highly collaborative project catalyzing important work. So being the person that kind of sparks the idea to make something very important happen, executing or coordinating operational or administrative tasks, team cohesion efforts or morale boosting, like all of these things that kind of create the culture, a good culture, a good company culture that might lead to more productivity and just just a better experience overall. So this whole thing about the performance reviews was really bugging me. And as I was mulling it over, it occurred to me that this all felt a lot like the second shift. And I'm sure most people who are listening have heard of the second shift. It's this term for additional unpaid labor that women in dual career households um, disproportionately do at home, childcare, housework, that sort of thing. This is a, mm-hmm. a longstanding concept developed decades ago. But I think women have a third shift at work. Welcome to the Next Level Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Harrop. I've been in different leadership positions over the last 10 years. And the most fulfilling part of what I do is when I help other women within the workplace get promoted, which is why I started coaching in 2019 and helping women who weren't in the same company as me. If you wanna grow within your current role, be seen as a leader amongst your team and eventually get promoted into a larger role, this podcast is for you. Sometimes along the way, women realize that the growth might not happen within their current organization and change can be scary. So I also help women in the transition to finding a great fit in a new role with a new company. And many of my clients end up getting a 20K salary raise along with that transition. And that can be you. After all, the world needs more female leaders and I'm here to create them. I focus on confidence, self-awareness, communication, growth mindset, networking, and more. If you're ready to believe in yourself and take that action, you're in the right place. Let's go. Allow me to introduce today's guest, Maria Alejandra Para Orlandoni. She also goes by Mapo, which we will talk about in today's episode. She is currently on the privacy and data policy team at Meta. She leads a team that partners with technology, business, and policy experts to shape the future of digital technology. At the present, she is focused on digital identity, privacy-enhancing technologies, and the metaverse. But her path was not always straightforward. She graduated from the Naval Academy in Annapolis and served in the U.S. Navy, leading teams of sailors on collaborative efforts like counter-piracy and humanitarian operations. She also spent time at MIT working on a Navy-funded project involving autonomous vehicles, 
And after transitioning out of the Navy, she decided to go to law school. She ended up focusing on tech law and worked a lot with tech startups on things like responsible AI, intellectual property, and risk management. And then she became more and more interested in shaping the law, not just following it, which led to her current role at Meta. But despite the career zigzags, she saw a consistent theme, organizations that don't necessarily prioritize its people's experiences, and therefore a consistent mission to create and advocate for norms and practices in the workplace that empower and energize people. And to help with this, she makes this mission a part of her every day at work, no matter the role or the company. She created Call Me Mapo dot com to share tools and blog posts. She volunteers in mentorship programs for vets and women. And at home, she has a wonderful supportive partner and a 14-year-old Weimariner named Atticus, who loves to be the center of attention at all times. Now, if that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what does, but let's go ahead and jump into the conversation with Mapo. All right, everyone. I am so excited for my guest today. We have Alejandra here with us. I am, I honestly am just stoked about our conversation today. Well, thank you so much for inviting me to join you today. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity to chat with you and your audience. Awesome. Great. So Alejandra, uh, she actually goes by Mapo. Her full name, Maria Alejandra Para Orlandoni. Did I get that right? That's exactly right. And that's why, that's why Mapo for short works. Perfect. That is a fun name to go by. So I'm happy to refer to you as that throughout our conversation. All right, Mapo, I would love for you to give a little bit of an introduction to our listeners. Feel free to share whatever you would like about your personal or professional background. Yeah, thank you. I'll start by saying that I'm a systems thinker who loves to work on solving systems problems. And to me, that means learning as much as I can about how something works, mostly mm-hmm. things like organizations, programs, people and process oriented systems, and then identifying a common vision or endpoint for whatever that system is, figuring out what it takes to bring that vision to life and finding the people who have the expertise to do it if I can't offer it, and then designing a way forward. And then in addition to being a systems thinker, I believe very strongly in leading through empowerment. And by that, I mean that leadership to me is enabling people around me to do what they do best. And I've tried to bring both of these aspects throughout my professional experience, um, which you largely covered. So I won't belabor the details, but Mm -hmm. essentially I've been an engineer working on autonomous vehicles, naval officer serving on deployed warships, a tech lawyer, tech policy leader, an organizational leader. So a lot of different things, but in all of them, I've tried to bring my systems thinking hat and then worked on building out my empowerment leadership philosophy. I've learned a lot along the way. And as part of that, the unique challenges that women face in the workplace and more broadly in society, I guess, have strongly shown through. And I see many of these challenges as systems problems and leadership failures. And so I see many of the solutions through this empowerment leadership lens. And so you can probably tell this is an area I find really interesting and I'm quite motivated to contribute to solving it in any way I can. 
Definitely so much good stuff in your background. I I love it all. Well, how we met, I usually tell the listeners how I get introduced to different people. And I love how we got introduced uh, through one of my coworkers at my day job. I honestly hadn't even been messaging him for very long on our Slack channel. Uh, I was doing an initial introduction. He has been in the military. So I was kind of like thanking him for his service. And we chatted just a little bit about some different interests that we had. And as soon as I said, you know, something that I'm passionate about is helping women in the workplace get promoted as part of the podcast that I do. And he instantly responded with such excitement that I had to speak with Mapo. When I did, you were so kind and inviting to like, yeah, let's have a conversation. I don't even know. Cause I don't even think I initially talked about my podcast. I just said, Hey, like my coworker says we need to chat. Are you open to it? And you were so that first conversation around what our topic is going to be today. Honestly, I have been trying to let some of that sink in because it has honestly blown my mind after you talked about essentially housekeeping tasks that women do in the workforce. And I keep thinking of all of these things that I've done along my career, which I see other women doing, and I just can't wait to, to jump into our content. So if you don't mind sharing uh, a little bit more about what that second and third shift is in reference to women in the workplace. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a great place to start. I'll share my aha moment first. Uh, I think it'll kind of tee it up a little bit. At one of my workplaces, we did performance reviews and, you know, part of the process was to write a self review. Yes. And there was this women's group who hosted a session that would help all the women improve self-review so that we could all get better performance ratings or even get promotions. And which by the way, is so awesome that there's yeah. women that volunteer their time to do this. Yes. I love um, it. Yeah. And in this session, they shared examples of what good looks like. And the examples were very practical, like, you know, not shying away from self-promotion. I think that's something that women are categorically and, and have been shown to just not do as much as they should or could choosing strong verbs and staying away from verbs, like helping or supporting like that sort of thing. And all the advice was again, really good based on people's long-standing experience at this particular company, knowing what gets traction, what doesn't. And despite the fact that it was great advice, what really struck me was that the session essentially advised the people who attended it, not to rely on highlighting very valuable collaboration and coordination efforts. Not that these are bad things, but what really got you the promotion was the me and the I work, not the contributive teamwork, not the us work. And my experience, along with many others I happen to know about with the performance review process at this organization matched that exactly. And the interesting gender layer to this was that part of the message of that session was essentially that women needed to be more like men and be more forward about taking credit for the activities they were involved in. And this got me thinking, you know, again, advice was really good advice for individual women to figure out how to game this system. But zooming out, it also meant that we were accepting the fact that the company was rewarding certain types of individual contributions and not rewarding community contributors. So what I might call a true team player as much and so after a little bit of digging, I actually learned there's a lot of research behind this. And I'm happy to provide links for your listeners, if at all helpful. 
But there's this term called office housework that's used to describe work that might be valuable to an organization and is contributive, but it isn't seen by the organization as promotable. So, you know, the stuff that they think officially and formally counts and it's going to get you more money or a higher uh, role, a higher level role. So, you know, this office housework work might look like facilitating the collaboration in a big, you know, highly collaborative project, catalyzing important work. So being the person that kind of sparks the idea to make something very important happen, executing or coordinating operational or administrative tasks, team cohesion efforts or morale boosting, like all of these things that kind of create the culture, a good culture, a good company culture that might lead to more productivity and just, just a better experience overall. So this whole thing about the performance reviews was really bugging me. And as I was mulling it over, it occurred to me that this all felt a lot like the second shift. And I'm sure most people who are listening have heard of the second shift. It's this term for additional unpaid labor that women in dual career households um, disproportionately do at home, childcare, housework, that sort of thing. This is a, mm -hmm. a longstanding concept developed decades ago. But I think women have a third shift at work. Women disproportionately carry the burden of this office housework in addition to their other work functions. And by the way, research has shown that this is way more extreme for women of color and other underrepresented groups. So it's, it's, I think it's a really big problem. And so hopefully that's helpful background for this concept of the third shift. Certainly. I think it, again, is so mind-blowing to put the phrase of this office housework around what people even like myself had done for years and felt like, oh, this is helpful. This is going to help me be seen as a leader or and make this different impact. But you're right. It, those things weren't what I was writing in those self-reviews as, hey, I deserve a raise because I'm the one who organizes all these meetings or I take the meeting notes or I help organize luncheons for the company, or when we're going away for a retreat, I'm the one asked to help organize what that will look like for room arrangements. And, and all those things are just so smaller details that do make an impact to a degree, but how do you relate that right for, for a promotion? So in your background, you talk about, and after my own heart, I love like process improvement and, and how to make systems better. I'm curious what, a, what it is about this topic that has you so excited and passionate about making change, because it does seem like something that is going to take a large shift to do so. Yeah. I mean, the reason this topic keeps me hooked is that at the end of the day, I think, I think many people would agree organizations are about people. But a lot of those people are women. <laughs> many, yeah. many of those people are women. And, you know, someone wants to do a thing. They can't do it by themselves. So they create an organization. And the success of that thing depends entirely on the people in that organization. And so I think those people should have a positive experience as part of the organization. Those mm -hmm. things are all codependent. And so if you accept that, then I don't think it's too far a leap to say that solid leadership and management of those people is absolutely critical. And one of my favorite references for this, by the way, is a passage out of a book. It's called, How Will You Measure Your Life? by this person named Clayton Christensen. He's a professor. Unfortunately, he passed away in 2020, but he's considered one of the most influential business thinkers in the 21st century. And I highly recommend looking him up and reading his yeah. work. Really fabulous. But Professor Christensen 
And this is a quote, I actually wrote it down. He calls management one of the most noble professions if practiced well, because no other profession offers as many opportunities to help others learn and grow, take responsibility or contribute to team successes. And you can start to see how that kind of connects back to this third shift and and not valuing certain types of work. And I think it's really helpful to convey this epiphany moment that he shares in his book. He envisions this employee leaving for work in the morning, like energized, confident, happy about life. 10 hours later, at the end of the workday, this employee is driving home, feeling underappreciated, frustrated, underutilized. Mm-hmm. And then Professor Christensen imagines how this might negatively impact this employee's experience at home after work. Then he envisions the same employee on a different day. And on this day, the employee comes home energized and pumped up because this employee learned a lot, was recognized for her achievements, a play, and played a significant role in the success of the company that day. And he imagines how this might positively impact her experience at home after work. And the difference between the first and the second scenario in his mind is the quality of the manager. Mm-hmm. And I think too many women live the experience in that first scenario. And I think it's entirely possible to make sure that more employees, including women and underrepresented groups, live the second experience. The one where you come home pumped up, excited, feeling good about work. And, and I think part of this is fixing the third shift, that, for, that third shift problem. And I would also say kind of more practically, that mm-hmm. that's kind of the conceptual thing that keeps me hooked, but more practically, I don't think organizations are in a position to accept the status quo. All of these third shift dynamics, we just kind of covered slow women's advancement at work, and they reinforce really problematic gender norms around unpaid labor. Actually, this really great recent New York Times article by someone named Jessica Nordell describes a quantitative model that she actually developed as part of writing her book called The End of Bias, A Beginning. And her model shows how small unintentional biases, which is a lot of what this third shift business ends up looking like, add up over time to stymie a woman's career. So in the article, you can even see an animated graphic that shows these effects over time. And it's really remarkable to see something numerical and graphical because it makes it harder to argue that right. this stuff is minor or non-existent. And, you know, some of these other things that probably you or, or many of your readers have heard about is, you know, women still only make up 10% of the C-suite positions. Mm-hmm. I don't even know at this point, how many studies have shown that diversity brings real value to organizations and particularly diversity at the top, but the numbers are still skewed. And if you happen to be a numbers person, and many people are, the impact of this on organizations in the U.S. is on the order of billions of dollars, not just around like personnel related costs, which I think is where most people tend to focus, Mm -hmm. but it's on less effective sales or decreased financial return rates, you know, the revenue side stuff, this, this third shift stuff, isn't just like an HR issue. It's, it's a business issue. And, you know, you pile onto that, the pandemic, Mm -hmm. it's had a really serious effect on women's careers. Many women have had to leave the workplace. They've put their career on the backseat for now to, to be able to manage their families and, and their home lives and, you know, sickness and things like, and, you know, at the end of the day, I, I just, I just don't think that organizations are in a place to just keep things the way they are. Top talent 
is continuing to make unprecedented demands for workplace equity. I'm sure you've probably heard about recent walkouts in the tech industry for workplace equality. Just have to do a quick internet search and a bunch of stuff pops up. And so at the end of the day, for me, this is about helping organizational leaders to take stock of the huge responsibility they have in terms of their people and to help think of ways to address challenges like the third shift. And so you can probably see how this kind of attracts the the systems thinking mind. (laughs) Definitely. No, thank you so much for going through that in in such detail. I I appreciate it. And I think even our conversation, it gets out there and and we're going to empower more women to have those conversations to say, yeah, I am actually doing this. And if it's not helping me to get promoted, I need to figure out how to either stop doing those things or, or like you said, making it more equitable among other team members, not just having the women or women of color or underrepresented minorities, having men take over some of these responsibilities as well, because if this isn't helping women stand out in the workplace and helping us to get promoted, it's one more thing that's making that a bigger gap. Oh yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. And I think that there, there are a lot of things to parse out in what you just said. For example, there are things that you can do on your own, like things that you can do to stop volunteering for things that maybe you shouldn't volunteer for. There are also things that you might still want to do that you just have to make the decision for yourself to say, I still think this is valuable. I still think this is important. I'm going to fight for making sure that it gets recognized, but I realize that it might not. And then just continue to, you know, build a community around you of people who maybe think the same way you do and kind of spread that message a little bit. Certainly. Since you mentioned that with trying to maybe pull back on some of those things that we're doing, because you're right, they are things that take up time and energy and effort. And if we are taking on those things as well as our regular responsibilities and additional projects on top of that to stand out, that is how we end up exhausted at the end of the day. So someone might be thinking, oh, well, what's my boss going to think if I stop volunteering for these things? Or what if they assign me something that I used to do that is considered this kind of third shift office housework? How would you recommend maybe going about a conversation with that leader to have a better understanding of, of what they're going to do going forward? Yeah, I think it's a great, it's a great way to go because, you know, at the end of the day, we all live in the organizations as they are, and not all of us are in a position to, to make, make the change from the top. Sometimes we just have to play the game as it is, not as it should be. And so, you know, there are a few, there are a few tactics, you know, like anything, you have to kind of read the room. You have to understand your organization. You have to understand the dynamics, but there are a few tactics that I think tend to be pretty helpful. So If you're asked to do something that's a third shift type of activity, one of the things that you can do is explicitly mention the trade-off. For example, you know, I'm working on X, which we've agreed as a priority. If I also take on Y, I'm worried about the quality of the outcome of X. And I don't think I'll have the bandwidth to do Y well anyway. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you just explicitly mention the trade-off, teed up, and then usually someone in a position of authority, whether it's a manager or project leader, whoever, when presented with these options, X or Y, they'll, they'll choose the one that they think is the most important, which is probably going to be the core project you're working on. So that's one thing you can do. Another thing you can do, and this might, again, it'll depend on your workplace, but you can identify allies 
who may be able to speak up to say that you're working with them on huge projects mm -hmm. um, and would prefer that you not be distracted. And by the way, one of these allies in many cases can actually be your manager. Sometimes not everybody works on projects directly with their managers. Right. They're working with someone else and someone's giving you these added tasks. Maybe your manager can be one of these allies, but build that group of allies who can kind of block for you a little bit. Um, if you feel pressure to say yes to something um, and there's more than one task on the table, try to pick the one that you think is most visible or where you'll learn a skill that you actually want to develop. You know, sign up for the one that you think is the most interesting one and then just say, oh, I'll take that one and that's all I have the bandwidth for. <laughs> so mm -hmm. uh, that's another thing you can do. And then for routine tasks, you know, an example of this might be taking minutes at a recurring meeting. I would recommend recommending to others that it be a rotating responsibility. Everyone can take turns and mm -hmm. the benefit to that is people take notes differently. And so you might actually glean different types of insights um, or learnings by, by actually doing that. So it's, a, it's actually a helpful thing. And so, you know, at the end of the day though, if you seem to be that person who <laughs> seems to be taking a lot of these third shift type tasks and, and those other tactics aren't helping or some other approaches aren't helping, I think it'd be really helpful to gather data, not because you should have to, but because it makes it easier to keep things factual when you have follow-on conversations. Mm -hmm. So track what you've been asked to do, track who's asking, track how much time you spend on these things. You know, it doesn't have to be this elaborate, you know, worksheet or anything, but just, right. just jot it down. And over time, see, see where it adds up, you know, maybe over the course of a month or a couple of months. And if possible, see if you can get similar information from other colleagues that might be friends of yours, or at least kind of notice who gets asked, who else might get asked to do stuff. Right. And then once you have enough information, have a chat with your manager, let them know that you'd really like to spend time developing XYZ skills because, you know, that's what you really want to learn. You really want to spend more time doing this thing that you're good at because that's your greatest value add to the organization, you know, that sort of thing. And then you can raise a concern about the fact that you don't think you can actually go all in on those things because you've been spending all of this time and you'll have the data completing these additional tasks. And you can always acknowledge the importance of the ta these tasks because they are important. You know, as we kind of discussed, yeah. they're the things that kind of create the glue for an organization, but you can mention that they're not centrally related to your role in particular. And it would be really helpful if you were relied on less heavily for those things. And, you know, I, I would definitely try to set a collaborative tone with your manager your manager may not be aware that this is an issue for you. And as I mentioned before, they might even be the person ultimately to provide cover for you. That's definitely happened to me before. I think those things can all be really helpful. I will also say, and you alluded to this a little earlier, a lot of saying no, oftentimes is about being self-confident, kind of knowing your value. I don't know about you, but I sometimes can't help raising my hand to volunteer for something mm -hmm. because I'm afraid people will think I'm lazy or uncommitted or like a bad team player, but no one thinks that, right. <laughs> no, no one thinks that. Um, so practice sitting on your hands. And I can tell you, I literally in, especially in in-person meetings, I've literally sat on my hands so that I don't, you know, raise my hand a little bit. And if you're a chronic volunteer person, it's hard, but maybe just once, maybe just once, make yourself not volunteer for something. 
and then maybe try it again, you know, just twice. Mm-hmm. And then maybe like set a rule for yourself. You'll only volunteer if um, it's once a month, or you'll only volunteer if the task involves an opportunity to learn something new or to work with a certain person, you know, set the rules for yourself so that you still feel that you're contributing, but only under circumstances that are good for you and for everybody else, not just good for everybody else. So I'll pause there because that was a lot of stuff, but I don't know if you have any reactions. No. Yeah. I, I totally do. I was jotting down some notes because what you said in regards to especially if you're involved in multiple different connections with different departments, you might have people coming at you with different asks. And I feel like what you said so well was making sure that we're communicating with our leader. Who do we directly report to? Sometimes even as individual contributors, it can be a confusing space to be in because you're like, well, who, who do I say yes to? What is my priority? And, and having that direct leader who you can reach out to and have those communications with and say, Hey, I'm being asked to do these things. I'm being asked to do these things. And if you aren't sure how to prioritize, that's where it's great to have that mentorship from your leader to say, how do I prioritize all of this? And if I can't do certain things, how do I communicate Uh, that we need to delegate that to someone else. I think that is such an important factor is that communication piece, because I can see where if you aren't volunteering or you're saying no to things you previously said yes to, if there isn't that communication with your leader and having that uh, expectation that, yes, I want to get more focused on things that are going to help me get promoted. And for women, sometimes I have been educating my male leaders to say, Hey, when there are things like you want to have someone volunteer for a project, perhaps sharing that with some of the women on the team in advance to let it sink in a little bit to see, is that something we feel more comfortable with volunteering for? And is that going to help us in our career growth? If so, having that a little bit earlier might help us to raise our hands either more quickly or more confidently to say, I would love to do this project. But on the same side of that as well is making sure that We aren't just volunteering for everything, uh, especially for those things, like you mentioned, aren't actually going to help us in our career growth. I think that is such a, an important part of that self-awareness and discernment to decide, is this actually going to be helpful for me or am I doing it because it's maybe easier to do? I feel comfortable. I've done it before or I, I want to be a people pleaser and this is something that makes people happy. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with everything you said. And, you know, one of the things that I've, I've tried to become better at is in addition to communicating, as you said, with my manager and asking for their advice, like, how mm-hmm. do I prioritize this? Um, how do I communicate? No, nicely to this person, given the dynamics, because you know, they're always complicated workplace dynamics. So in addition to that, one of the things that I like to do is look around at the people who seem to be doing very well. And you kind of always know who the superstars are and, and notice like, what do they prioritize? And if you feel comfortable getting to know them, ask them, what do you prioritize? Why? How do you think about that? I also like to identify mentors that are in the company and in leadership roles, but not on my immediate team. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. so that I can ask them what they look for in terms of promotions, advancement, value add, those sorts of things, and just kind of get a broader sense of the culture of that organization. And I, I also like to pay attention to what types of work receive praise in team yeah. meetings or in announcements that tells you a lot. So for example, if an organization talks about how important collaboration and teamwork are, but at every team meeting, what gets called out is an individual contributor's, you know, leadership on X, Y, or Z, then, you know, there's a, there might be a slight mismatch between what people say is valuable and what actually is valued. Um, And so you you can start to take in some of those cues. So yeah, I I think that the communication piece is is really probably the most important, but then also kind of picking up your head and looking around and and trying to gather more information. Again, this is all to empower yourself to kind of navigate whatever environment you happen to be in, because even even if environments improve, they're, they're almost never going to be perfect. And a lot of times the the perfecting part of it comes, comes from, you know, the, the leaders at the top. Um, and I would say, you know, if you happen to be a leader at the top, which I'm sure many of your listeners are, I think, I think it's really helpful to try to stay aware of these dynamics and just think about how to distribute this third shift type of work more fairly, but also to give it due credit because it's the type of thing where it's very easy to undervalue it but then when those things go away, when you don't have those kind of team thinkers and contributors and, you know, the connective tissue type folks working, working at a place like that typically isn't great. It's not as productive. Communications aren't very good. Projects don't flow as seamlessly or as efficiently. So, you know, it's, it's important not to take that step for granted you know, as, as a flip side. Yeah, I I wrote down some more notes because again, so much of this conversation, which I knew would happen, just continuing to open my mind and and think more broadly. Uh, I like what you talk about of either sharing credit or even sharing responsibilities, that collaboration. I think sometimes people think of collaboration in a very narrow kind of way. And even talking with you today helps me understand that that's also making sure we're holding other people accountable to do these types of housework tasks. We're also saying, hey, you know, I know so-and-so is wanting to kind of get out of her comfort zone a little bit. So maybe she might be a good person to take on this and communicating that with people. I I continue to be surprised when I reach out to someone and say, hey, I think you would be really great at you know, leading this team meeting or taking on this type of project. Uh, and they're like, really, I've, I've kind of thought about that, but not, you really think I'd be good at that. And then that confidence from me is borrowed until they start volunteering and building their own. And that kind of has that ripple effect throughout people's careers by, by being more aware of that and leading into that as well. I think I had such a huge shift in the way that I approached my work when I truly sat down in meetings and observed people. I, instead of being reactive and thinking like, oh my gosh, I got all these things to do and I'm taking the notes and all the different things being very reactive and not as aware of my surroundings. When I started sitting back and I would just observe people. Uh, That's why if you are taking meeting notes, I would highly recommend pushing that onto someone else for whatever amount of time possible, because 
then you can see uh, how people react. How are people's body languages reacting to leadership's messages? Who is paying zero attention in meetings and who is really engaged? And that made such a difference for me when I wanted to start promoting uh, and growing in my own career because the people who had zero interest in those meetings and for me, I kind of read that as not as much respect for some of those leaders. I thought, okay, maybe that's not actually the person that I want to start having as a potential mentor. I started looking at the people who were really active in the conversation, who were looking out for other people, maybe someone who's a more introverted leader, someone who was extroverted said, Hey, uh, so-and-so what's your thoughts on this? Because they know that they have built that relationship and know that they have something to say, but might not voluntarily say it without an invite. So I think that observation piece is, is also really big as well. I totally agree. And I I've had a similar experience to you. You know, it's, it's incredible when you sit in on meetings that maybe happen to include some executives at your company or, you know, very successful kind of more senior leaders and to listen how they communicate, to watch them. And, you know, if you're lucky, you get to watch when some of those people who were just, they're just amazing. You're like, oh yeah, I, I see why you are so good at what you do. And, you know, the way you communicate, the way you facilitate the way you make other people feel like they can contribute, the way you create a team environment just by, just by the way you speak. Um, and you start to learn and pick up on some of that stuff and say, Ooh, I like how they phrase that. Or I like their approach to that. I'm going to write that down and try to use it. So I completely agree with you. And, and all of that stuff, I think if we just remember when, when you're in a position as you know, maybe, maybe you're a a newer manager or kind of mid-level when you're in a position like that, where you actually get to empower other people around you, add in that kind of gender layer or Mm -hmm. add in, you know, underrepresented groups layer, or as you actually just alluded to the, the introvert extrovert layer, how can you help people that come from different places and have different backgrounds and have different experiences, how can you help them kind of bloom? Like, how can you help them be the best version of themselves? And if you're a strong leader, you will figure out how to facilitate that out of each and every one of the people around you. And then eventually maybe grow into being that, you know, very senior leader that you're admiring at whatever Mm -hmm. meeting you happen to be sitting in. Certainly. I love that. For those of us who have taken on different types of this housework office tasks throughout the year, maybe they're coming up on a performance review, or maybe we're talking about pay raises or bonuses. How would you suggest someone have that reflection? Because someone like myself might be like, oh crap, I've taken on a lot of those. How do I articulate that? Can I be eligible for a raise or a promotion based on these housework type tasks that I'm taking on? How would you recommend someone approach that in their self-review or in those conversations? Yeah, it's a great question. And I definitely can sympathize with that situation. I think one helpful thing to do is follow the trail of your work. What project or projects did it feed into? And what was the outcome of that project? Like try to tell the story between what you did, this contributive part, 
and then the output of the thing that you fed into. And even if they seem far apart, try, try to bring them together. So for example, if you were asked to track certain information over the course of a quarter, you know, tra track this thing, keep track of it. You know, it's yes. kind of like extra task. Tie that to the outcome of the overall project it fed into. Or if you kept meetings or sorry, minutes during a recurring meeting and your minutes included clear takeaways, highlight how your analysis fed into the result of that team's efforts. And so it's a little bit of extra work. Like it's, it's not easy to do this. And especially because then you have to like make it succinct and snappy and boil it all down into a couple of bullet points or a mm -hmm. few sentences, but, but it is doable. It's, a little extra speaking of extra work and third shift okay. stuff it's even more work to do this but but it's doable and you know as part of this i i alluded to this earlier data is your friend try to represent your work as metrics if at all possible so mm -hmm. you didn't just provide actionable takeaways in your meeting minutes you provided over 50 actionable takeaways, five of which were selected as the basis for the final outcome of blah, blah, blah. You know, add numbers to it. You know, obviously you have to be truthful and you have to be accurate, but but add numbers to it where you can. It's again, it's a little hard sometimes, but just, just try to think creatively. And, and if you can't come up with this stuff on your own, I don't think you should be shy about asking a trusted colleague or, you know, maybe a friend that's outside of the company who, who might be able to you know, brainstorm how you can frame some of this work. Because in other words, the goal is to explicitly outline the value that you have created. You spell it out how without your work, it would have cost that much more time or that much more effort to reach the same great outcome for the company. And I will say one interesting note is that some companies have recently announced that they'll be providing additional monetary compensation to their employee resource group leads, their ERG leads. And, you know, this is ERG leads are classic, like third shift type, type of work. And one of the company's rationale for this was that the emotional labor and investment of time ERGs contribute is priceless and that the additional compensation is basically just to start. And it's kind of like the least they can do. So I think that some organizations are coming around to the fact that this stuff isn't just, you know soft value. It's like real value. It's, it's value valuable enough that there's actually a dollar sign that can be attached to it. So take confidence in the fact that what you have done is actually valuable and just take that confidence and try to put it in terms of metrics and outcomes and things like that. So that when you go to your manager, you say, look, here, here's what I actually accomplished. I didn't just contribute to people's feeling good. That actually translated to something real for the company. Yeah. And it's so important. And, and I reference a lot of recommending people to keep track of the different tasks and things that they're doing throughout their career. I call it a work journal and it's as simple as a Google doc tracking those different things that you're doing in a month by month, uh, because we might think, oh yeah, I'm going to remember that thing that I did. And then a month goes by and you're like, what was that thing that I did? Especially for those of us who are taking on a lot of these office type tasks, housekeeping, because that's more and more that's added to our plate and what we're doing in a day to day. And I think uh, for many listeners who uh, tune into this episode might have a little bit of like that reflection crisis of like, oh my gosh, like I've taken on so many things that I probably should have said no to. And I want to give a little preface of like giving yourself grace, 
we've all done it. You know, there are plenty of times when, you know, you're going to do it because that is a passion of yours. At previous jobs, I was always someone who volunteered to help with any efforts around the holidays when we had our primary children's network fundraisers of, you know, getting everything together. And, and then some of that was my own funds and some of it was company funds and so much was extra time and effort away from what I was doing in a day-to-day to help make this difference. But that was something that was near and dear to my heart. So for people to recognize that you can still do those different types of tasks. Uh, I love what you mentioned with employee resource groups as well, because that is something often when I'm talking to women, they are women led and primarily women filled groups. So I think that is, again, something where people are volunteering their time, their heart and soul to these things to help other people, you know, come up along the way. But as you go to do your reviews and, and hope for that, obviously advocate for that bonus or that pay raise for your current position. Hopefully it's a little bit of an eye-opener of what is helpful for you in your career and what things maybe aren't as helpful and what things you could get off your plate so that you can focus on things that are a little bit more helpful in your own career growth. Yeah, I, I completely agree with every single thing you said. Well, this has been such a great conversation. It's such great work that I think needs to get out there and I am so happy to share the different articles that you've written and any other supporting articles that you think might be helpful for someone who's maybe an employee who says, I need to like share this information out and, and figure out how to start having those conversations with my leaders, because a lot of it is lack of awareness and norms within the workplace that have become expectations. So as we start to kind of break those down, let's have those conversations in our one-on-ones with our leader. Let's start sharing these documents with other people within our organization to say, Hey, how can we start to work to, to make changes and, and to help close those gaps, especially for women, maybe that is advocating for a, a higher salary or pay for these different types of tasks that are being taken on and certainly not a change overnight by any means, but progress in that right direction to help any woman who's tuning into this episode to, to recognize how you want to grow and, and where you want to, what you want to do to get there. Yeah, I love it. I will share all of the resources I have. There's some great stuff out there written by really smart researchers and, you know, some of them theoretical, some of them practical. So I'm happy, happy to share everything. And uh, yeah, I think there's this element of kind of taking control of your own experiences at work to the extent you can, but then also, as you said, you know, helping others to learn as well, because a lot of folks just don't know. They just don't really understand what things like the third shift or office housework or whatever you want to call it. They don't understand what that means. They don't understand what it looks like. And they're not bad people. They just don't know about it. And so, you know, it's, it's a little bit of an extra burden to, share the message and, and help other folks learn, but I think it's worthwhile. And I think it can make a really big difference for each and every one of us, every single woman who has ever experienced that. Um, but it'll also make a huge difference for other, other people, other groups going back to this idea of organizations are all about people. I think it's worth the effort. I mean, we spend so much time at work as human beings, or at least in many places, spend so much time at work. So much time. Might as well be a pretty good experience. 
Definitely. And again, it's that awareness that, I mean, I had never heard of this actual phrasing of what that was, but once I did so much clicked for that, that as a leader, I'm obviously advocating for change all the time for women in the workplace uh, through my podcast, through my own jobs. But this is such a great thing to be sharing with other people so that they can start to open up their ways of thinking to be more understanding. I think that so much has happened in the last couple of years of really opening up minds to understanding in so many different ways. Uh, And I think for women in the workplace, especially, this is such an important thing to bring to the forefront of those companies who are welcoming of that change and recognizing the differences and how they can continue to support you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It was such a fun conversation. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Wasn't that such a great conversation? I hope it had you hooked for the entire time. I think Alejandra is amazing. And honestly, I was giddy to be speaking with her. I think she speaks so eloquently and has such a passion for women in the workplace. And as I have continued to get introduced to different guests over time, I feel lucky. I felt grateful to be in the same arena as some of these other women and, and bringing them to you and to pour into you and your growth and, and everything that you want in your career and what that's going to look like. And I hope that if you're in the same boat as me, that your mind is blown right now, thinking of office housework and all the different things that women do that black women do underrepresented minorities thinking of the ways that we can change this in the workplace. And I invite you to start having those conversations with your different leaders to say that this needs to change, that we need to make adjustments. And at least if anything else, considering what office housework you're doing, that isn't helping you to get promoted or helping you to grow into that next level of a role. What are things that you're doing that are keeping you from other activities or projects that could be more impactful? I think Alejandra said it so well throughout the episode of how to have these conversations and discussions of prioritizing the work that's going to be more impactful, which is likely not office housework. And if it is thinking of how you can get that to be something that's listed on your resume, something that is more widely celebrated within the company so that you can have that growth and that recognition as well. All right, until next time, we'll see you later. Thank you for tuning into another episode of Next Level Leaders. If today's episode resonated with you, I would love for you to check out my career journal that I created that has over a hundred unique prompts to help you take action and work towards getting that promotion in your career, helping you feel more confident, improving your self-awareness, increasing that communication, expanding your growth mindset, and helping you to proactively network. This is action-oriented and will have space for you to write in the journal itself of what you're working on, what progress you're making. I know it can be so helpful to any woman in the workplace who wants to grow in their current role, even if you're not getting promoted, but it certainly will help you be more prepared for those growth opportunities in your life. I would love for you to check it out. The link is in the show notes and you can also find it over on my website, www.nicoleharrop.com. 
www.thecoachmentor.com. See you next time.